Turn in your Bibles this morning to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. This is a very brief psalm. Let me read it to you. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we give thanks for this opportunity to worship Thee. We pray that You'll teach us, that You'll reveal Your Son to us, that You'll enable us this morning to rejoice in the blessings of Your Gospel. Lord, we lift up our brethren that are sick and need Thee, Remember, Brother Jeff, especially, that you raise him up in due time according to thy will. Now, Lord, forgive us of our sins and bless us for Christ's sake. Amen. You notice the last phrase of this psalm says, For the Lord commanded the blessing. It doesn't say the blessings, it says the blessing. I'll tell you, we have a lot of blessings in Christ, but there's only one blessing that really matters. And you see it's mentioned here in the last phrase, life forevermore. Well, what we got here is all temporary, whether there's a lot of blessings or a lot of problems or this and that and the other is beside the point. What we want is the promised blessing, eternal life in Christ. And In the first verse of this, you notice the psalm begins with the word, Behold. Now, this means simply, pay attention. See this. This is important. And you notice that the first verse ends with the word unity and then an exclamation mark. And I don't know why I'd never noticed this before, but I started looking and how many exclamation marks you think there are in the Scriptures? I don't know either. I, I, I started and went to the end of the Psalms, and then I started back the other way. And from Psalm 120 to 150, that's 30 Psalms. You know how many exclamation marks there are? Three. Not very many, is it? I look through Romans 8, which is, a, well, we're really fond of that, and, and it says a lot of powerful, wonderful, great things. There's not an exclamation mark in the whole chapter. This must be important, and all the Word of God is vital. It's the uh, recorded Word of God, and it's important to us. It's by divine inspiration, but there aren't that many exclamation marks. So whatever is being said here must be really important. It's, behold, and that word unity, God the Father, God the Son, and God God the Holy Spirit are unified. They're so unified that they're one. And I understand, you say, how can three be one? I don't know, but they are. They're perfectly unified. Unity is so important that God has taken all of his people 
And he's unified them in one person, in the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's hard to understand. And the closest way I know to do it is that, uh, kind of sort of explain it, is that uh, there was a woman recently I read, she, she was going to have, they call it quintuplets. Is that five babies? Now, where were those five babies before they were born? <laughs> they were all in her. She and those five babies are one, aren't they? We're one in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's made us unified in that way. And I'll tell you why that's such an important thing to understand and to be blessed by. The unified children of God, if you're one with Christ, you're unified with him, you know what you get? You get his righteousness. It becomes your righteousness. And that's really important if you ever want to be in the presence of God. If you want to have eternal life and go in his presence, you've got to be unified with Christ. You've got to have that righteousness. And the other reason unity is important is that God has taken all the sin of all his people and he's unified it in one place. He put it in the Lord Jesus Christ when he walked up that hill at Calvary and they killed him for it. He didn't, kill, he, didn't get, he didn't get murdered and killed for, he didn't die for his, his sin. It was our sin. It became his. He was unified with it. He was made sin. Unity means sameness. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. He's the same today. And he'll be the same tomorrow, forever. In Christ, believers, all believers are of the same unified Mind, we discern the, the, you know, I'm glad being saved isn't dependent on being intelligent. <laughs> I'd be in big trouble, okay? Anybody here sort of think that too? I mean, uh, I don't have a doctorate in anything. I'm not that smart. But you know what? Every one of God's children has the same mind. And do you know what we understand from that mind? Who Christ is, what he did, where he is now, and why he did what he did. Every believer can explain that much. We are of the same heart. We believe the same thing. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ He's, we, we believe he, he is who he says he is. He did what he said he'd do. Why he did it and where he is now. We believe that in our mind, but it moves to the heart as well in that we love it that way. We don't want it any other way. How it says it is in this book, we love it that way. And we love God's people. We're of the same purpose. The glory of God and the good of God's people. That's unity. And you know what that is? In this verse it says that's good and that's pleasant. It's a good and pleasant thing to be unified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 for a minute. Ephesians chapter 4. Unity means oneness. It means alike. And it means together. It means the same. And all that remains 
to occur in this world. A lot of folks are concerned about current events and what's going to happen uh, uh, 40 years from now or 100 years from now. We're going to run out of coal. We're going to run out of electricity. We're going to run out of oil. We're going to run out of this and we're going to run all that. Listen, don't worry about that stuff, okay? It's not worth worrying about. It's really not. The, you know, do you know how somebody says, well, how long is, it go, how long is the world going to exist? Well, I'll tell you what. You know when it's going to stop? On the day when the Lord Jesus Christ has brought the last of his children into the body of Christ. When that happens, then it's over. And if we run out of coal in the meantime, he'll give us something else. If we run out of oil, he'll give us something else. We, we won't, you don't have to worry about God's people begging bread or starving or anything else. It'll all be fine. The only thing that remains is for that last believer, whoever it is, to be brought into the unit, into the unity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, in the meantime, what are we supposed to do? Hmm? What are we supposed to do? Well, let's just all go get in a cave up in Tibet. And that's what some people think, right? Yeah, let's, uh, let's be hippies. Let's go build a grass hut and, you know, live on the land and do our own thing. Is that what we're supposed to do? No. What we're supposed to do here is in Ephesians 4, verse 3, it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're to endeavor... And you know what endeavor means? Endeavor means that uh, to devote ourselves, to make a real serious effort to keep the unity. That's what we're supposed to do while we're waiting on the last member of the body of the unit of Christ to come in, is we're to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. In other words, we're called to this by the Spirit of God. You say, oh, I want to join. Well, the Spirit of God is the one who chooses who joins who's in the unit. And that's what, that's what we're waiting for. But, you know, I'm all for world peace. I'm all for uh, racial harmony. I'm all for everybody just getting along. I don't like fussing and fighting. Do you? And I feel good. No. You know what fussing and fighting and all that stuff is? It's bad and it's unpleasant as opposed to good and pleasant. And the simple truth is, you can forget about, with unbelievers, you can forget about, there's not going to be any world peace. I mean, in my lifetime, I've seen World War II. I've seen the Korean War. I was in the Vietnam War. I've seen the Iraqi War. I've seen the Afghan War. And next week, there'll be another war. Or real soon. What's the problem? There's no unity. Every unbeliever is on, on the same page. You see, the, uh, the terrible truth is every person on the planet by nature is concerned about one person. I got, I'm embarrassed to tell this. My grandkids were down this weekend, and uh, they're, they're uh, like 11, 9, and then the little 4-year-old. And... I put them all in the car Saturday morning and said, we're going over to Krispy Kreme. 
And we were singing, uh, uh, singing silly songs. I was saying, I wish I were a Krispy Kreme donut and, and this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, the four-year-old breaks, breaks out in this song. I really, really like me. I really, really like myself. <laughs> I'm like, well, there it is, folks. And that's what everybody's concerned about is me, isn't it? I mean, it's not the unity. It's all about me. That's what we got from Adam. Adam didn't, he loved Eve. And then all of a sudden after he sinned, he said, kill her, not me. She made me do it. I mean, do we see what we are by nature? We're not interested in unity. The opposite of unity is disunity. It's discord, disagreement, chaos, fussing, fuming, finding fault. And if that stuff follows us around, if it's prevalent in our life, it's not only bad and it's unpleasant, but it may just be an indication about our unity with Christ. It's not good evidence. And I understand unity is not easy. Uh, you see that word endeavor in verse 3 of Ephesians 4? You see what's on the end of it? I-N-G. Endeavoring. That means it's an ongoing, ever-present, never-ending process because the old man's not dead. The key to unity, though, look in verse 1 and 2 of Ephesians 4. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. If you, the Spirit of God calls you into unity of Christ, that becomes your vocation. That becomes your new... Now, you still got to go to work. You still got to go out and take care of the cows and cut the wheat. You still got to go down to the plant or whatever it is. But we have a new vocation. Uh, it's unity with Christ. And you see verse 2 says, and here's how that's done. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Love's the key to this thing. If we love Christ, we'll love his people, and there'll be unity. But the only way to get there is in these four words. The first is lowliness. It's not much our nature, is it? No, we don't much. Uh, this is I don't much think of myself as being low. I think of myself being pretty high, you know. But if we want to have unity and we want to get along, then you see, you're more important than me. If I make you higher than me, then I'm not looking down my nose at you. We talk about meekness. Now, meekness does not mean weakness. It doesn't mean that uh, Brother Cheryl can come up and smack me in the face every time he sees me and says, man, I, you know, you're bugging me. That's not what that means. And I just go, okay, don't, don't hit, hit me again, just not too hard. No, that's not. Meekness is not weakness, okay? But meekness is, if, if we've got something going on here and just don't quite agree on something, you know, if Cheryl's real sure about it and feels confident, that's fine. That's okay. Let's do it that way. Let's go that way. All right? And then we talk about long-suffering. Now, this is tough for us because, uh, buddy, you just, you just, uh, you know, you just cross me and we'll see. That's our nature, isn't it? We're not going to take that. Well, you know, believers, just let it go. Let it go. What's the big deal? Let it go. But our pride gets in the way if we're not careful. And then there's forbearing. Forbearing. 
Uh, mm, uh, you know, uh, somebody says something about us. We don't much like it. But it's probably not near as bad as the truth if they really knew it. Huh? Yeah. Just forbear. Just forbear it. And if we do that, I tell you what, if you're married and you've been married a while, boy, that's these four things got to be there, don't they? If you're gonna if you're gonna stay married, if you're gonna be happy, and it's gonna be pleasant. Okay, show me somebody who's always got to have it their way in the marriage, and I doubt if it's real cool all the time there. All right, and we're married to Christ. We're in unity with the Lord Jesus Christ, and these are the key to unity. It's a oneness. You see verses four. There is, verse 4 says, there's one body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. One body. You know what? I really don't spend much time doing this to me. I don't spend a lot of time doing that. If we're one, I won't spend a lot of time doing it to you. <laughs> we're one with the Lord Jesus Christ. But how do we do that? Endeavoring. It's not easy with the old natures just to say, oh, Cheryl, we'll do it your way. No problem. You know? She said, what about my daughter? <laughs> yeah. Mm, well, we get it. We just get upset so easy, don't we? And it's all pride. It's all meanness instead of usness. Look at verse eleven. It says, and he gave some. God gives us what we need. You know, God doesn't command anything. He does not give us the ability to perform. He does not require of us anything unless he gives us the ability to do it. And he gives us what we need to endeavor in the unity. You see, verse 11 says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets. You know what they did? They wrote these scriptures for us. And he gives some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. He gives them to us. For what purpose? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, Till we all come in a unity of faith, there's that word again, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The only way to get through this life is doing what you're doing right now. It's getting in the Word. It's sitting under the Word. It's worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, It'll keep us more meek, more low, all those things better than anything there is. And that's what we need. Now, turn over to uh, Genesis 13 with me. And I'll remind you in the psalm we read, it says, uh, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren, brethren to dwell. What does that mean? Well, it, it does mean... Uh, you know, there are some brethren in the flesh who become brethren in the spirit. I mean, uh, you know, Cheryl and Jim, they are blood brothers, aren't they? And that's a good thing. It's what a blessing to have. I don't have any blood relatives 
that have any interest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Breaks my heart, but I can't change it. But you know what? I got other brothers. <laughs> I got other sisters who we're that way by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's even better. By his blood, he's made us one. We're brethren. And this is a, an old writer uh, put me onto this portion of Scripture. Let's read it here in, uh, in Genesis 13, verse 1. And it, may, it won't be apparent at first where we're going with this, but stay with me. Verse 1 of chapter 13 of Genesis. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot was with him. Now, Lot was his blood brother. Okay, they were just like Jim and Cheryl. Into the south. And Abram was, now notice this. He was very rich. Man, he had a lot of cattle. One fellow said, Danny, it was like 12,000 cattle. Whew. That's a bunch of cows, isn't it? Yeah. Very rich in cattle and in silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he'd made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, he had a lot of flocks, a lot of herds, and a lot of tents. He had a bunch of stuff too. Do we see that? And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together. Psalm 133 says, Brethren, dwell together in unity. And they've decided they can't do that. For their substance was great. You see what the reason was? So that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And also the Canaanites and Perizzites, they dwell there in that same land, and they were fussing and fighting with them as well. And let me say this. Forget about trying to get along with this world. You can't do it. You cannot do it. They, they, you can be pals and friends with uh, anybody you want outside this fellowship, and I promise you this, they'll do you. Sooner or later, they'll do you. You can ask us old guys, the geezers have been around a long time. I've been done so many times. I'm done being done with that. <laughs> I mean, I've had enough of it. And even then, somebody comes along, you try to befriend them and hope so, come hear the gospel, what have you. They'll do you too. If they, if, now, if they come in here, you know, they, they might do some little stuff that bother you. But, I mean, by and large, but don't give it up on the outside world. It won't work. can't be done. The parasites are always there with you, okay? All those ites, they're always around. The Hittites, any kind of ites. All right, go back to uh, verse 8. And Abram said unto Lot, let there be no strife. Now, that was a good motive. I pray thee between me and thee and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. That's the first time that word's used in Scripture, brethren. And it means more than blood brothers. He said, we're brothers in the gospel, in Christ is what he means here, okay? Is not the whole land, therefore, or before thee. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, I'll go to the right. If you depart to the right, I'll go to the left. Now, Lot lifted up his eyes, and behold, all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord would destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like Eden, like the land of Egypt, so thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, 
Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Now let me make some comments about this. First of all, their brethren who made a conscious decision not to dwell anymore together. Now, why did they make that decision? It was all about money. It was about stuff. And let me give you this warning. Anytime, any decision you make on any level, no matter how small the consequence or how big it appears, if money's the key thing in the issue, slow down. Slow down. At the least, slow down. And don't let the money be the basis for the decision. I'm telling you. If you do, you'll regret it and be sorry in the end because the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, they both had plenty. So why should they separate? They had enough, didn't they? Huh? And we're more familiar with the trouble Lot got into, aren't we? Because he went down to Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abram had his problems after that too. And they were both wrong in this. Let me, let me give you some non-money solutions to this. What, why did it have to be when they walked up here? Okay, we got the mountains on this side that look really rough. We got the, man, well-watered plains on this side. Why did it have to be, okay, we'll divide it this way. One of us gets all the good stuff and one of us gets this other. Why did they do that? Why didn't they go, let's divide it this way. You get some mountains and you get some uh, good land. I'll get some mountains and some good land. And by the way, we'll make Sodom and Gomorrah off limits. We won't go down there. Doesn't that seem like a wise way to have ended this? Brought it to a head. Why didn't they do this? If the problem was they had too much stuff, why didn't they take some of the cattle and say, let's go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and give them all these cows? Let's get rid of some cows. There's got to be some poor people in there who will really be glad for the cows. Give the parasites some cows. Maybe they'll leave us alone. That would have worked, wouldn't it? But, you know, most of us go, I can't give away my cows. I can't just give my stuff away. Isn't that how we think? Oh, we can give stuff away. It's, I tell you what, it's better than what happened to him, isn't it? I guarantee you in the end that Lot would have given every cow he had not to wind up where he was. Marching out of there with his kids and watching his wife turn into a pillar of salt, he lost everything, didn't he, in the end? Well, why didn't they just get together and tell their herdsmen, we are going to get along? We're not having any of this. There's not going to be any fussing and fighting. I'll tell you what, it's real tough. It's real tough. I heard a, a man give another fellow whose wife was just, just, just fussed at him all the time. And, of course, he'd respond. And then they'd get in a big fight and all this kind of thing. And the guy said, well, why don't you just quit fussing with her? <laughs> it's like it never occurred to him. He said... It gets, it gets tiresome. No matter how many times you hit a dummy, okay, all right, sooner or later, you get so tired of hitting it that you don't want to hit it anymore. They just could have got their guys together and said, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to do it. It's not worth it. Dividing the brethren 
over anything is not worth it. Dwell together in unity. Dwell together means reside, abide, continue with, be close to. And the best way to do that is simply yield. Always give way, forbear. Let the world try to win at all costs. For a believer, any gain that we have at the expense of another believer, we'll regret it in the end. I promise you. I've seen it enough. Now, is this easy? No. Dwelling together in unity, it says together, together. Now, if you look back at the Psalm 133, does your center reference have a little note there with it uh, when it says uh, dwell together? Your center reference say even together? Let me tell you why that is. (laughs) It means it like this. Dwell together. Okay, even together. (laughs) This is not going to be easy. Even together. I tell you, it does not matter how much two believers love one another. There's always going to be something come up where they temporarily think different things about it. Or So what? Even together. Get over it. Even together. It's hard enough just dwelling in the world that we ought not fuss with one another. And it's impossible to dwell with unbelievers and even difficult at times. You know what Brother Henry said one time? He said, he said, uh, he said you know, some folks are, we're supposed to love one another. He said, but just some folks are a lot harder to love than others. And don't we find that to be so? I hope I'm not one of those. I don't want to be one of those. Do you? You know? But listen to me. Let me give you some perspective on this. We think it's difficult for us getting along and all this kind of thing and putting up with so-and-so because they can be a crabby person or putting up with this person who thinks they're high and mighty or whatever it is. In order to be unified, think about what it cost the Lord Jesus Christ to be unified with us. It's, it's too horrific to consider what they did to him in the soldier's hall. No movie's ever been made to show this like it was. They beat his back till his ribs showed. They didn't pluck a few hairs out of his face. They grabbed it here, and they tore all the skin off his face down to his chin. The bone and blood was there dripping. They marched him up that hill with that you know, got him up there and drove big iron spikes through his hands and feet and laughed at him. He said, I'm thirsty, and they gave him vinegar. They ran a spear up through his side and laughed at him, mocked him to scorn. He did that to be unified with our sin so that when he died, it could be put away. These light afflictions that you and I have day to day, gee whiz, I'll be able to put up with you, Danny. (laughs) Or you, me, it'd be a better way to put it. We ought to be able to get endeavoring to be unified. Now, does anybody here want an unpleasant and miserable life? You say, of course not. That's ridiculous. We want it to be good and we want it to be pleasant, don't we? How good? Does good mean here in this verse? Well, God's the author and the cause of good, and his people are the recipients of his goodness. 
But be warned about this. Don't ever mistake the good we receive from God as being our goodness. There's none good, no, not one. All our goodness is as filthy rags. Here's the concept presented in this scripture. Just because we didn't make the water, just because we don't own all the water, doesn't mean we shouldn't freely drink of the water of God's grace. If we do, we'll just get along. We'll be enabled to endeavor in this matter. It'll be well with us. It'll be good. You get to thinking about it. You go home tonight and think about when you've been, when it's not good, when you're not happy. You know when it is? When you're in a fuss. When you're in a fuss. How pleasant, how satisfying, how pleasing. Don't confuse here again, don't confuse pleasant with pleasure. There's a big difference. See, there's pleasure even in sin for a season. That has everything to do with the flesh. But pleasant, pleasant has to do with the spirit. And unity of the brethren is satisfying and pleasing. It's pleasant to God. It's pleasant to you and it's pleasant to your brethren. Disunity is pleasant to no one. You know, if by God's grace we're enabled to do things for our brethren, it'll be good. It'll be pleasant. If we can just do those things that, that, that are so against our nature. You've got something, and one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, you know they may need it or just want it. Well, just give it to them and be done with it. Keeping, it, keeping all those cows didn't do Abraham and, and Lot, any good, did it? Just give it up. You know, somebody tweaks your little train and uh, acts like, you know, you, you know I'm, I'm smarter than you. Well, let them be smarter. It's okay. Let them think they are. It doesn't matter. What's it cost? You know what this is? This is bowing. This is bowing to the unity of Christ as ordained of God. And if it, you, want a good, you want to be good in this life and you want to be pleasant, that's how to do it. It's absolutely how to do it. Behold, how good and how pleasant. And it's good evidence that Christ has done something for us. He's given us a new heart which loves God and loves God's people. May the Lord enable us to do that. Dwell in unity together.